0: Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company.
1: All
0: right, here we go. Silver 7's on a Thursday. John von Toble's here. It's Cofield. Let's get right into it. We've got uh, great conversations coming up. We're going to try to track down one of the uh, Raiders draft picks, Britton Brown, the running back at UCLA, hopefully this hour later in the show. New UNLV assistant. There's two new UNLV assistants on the basketball side, men's basketball. John Cooper will be in. Danger Stanley's He's down here. Von Tobel's here. Congrats to your Angels as we were tracking uh, afternoon baseball today. Hell of a start, 17-10. and 10. Uh, Not only 17-10, and 10, for those who haven't paid attention like on a day-to-day basis, the last two wins uh,
2: today, Shohei Otani going 7, shutting them out, striking out 11. And then last night, Jared Walsh tying that game, and then the team exploding in extras to win 10-5, a game that was – 4-3 going into the ninth. Angels are playing pretty good, but the schedule's been kind of soft, so I kind of want to be very careful
0: yeah. in baseball when you judge who's good and who's not because if you've had a chance to load up on, like, the seven drecks of baseball who aren't trying led by the Reds, right. records can be very misleading. Speaking of the Reds, Reds go out and get bombed again today. I mean, this is, this is a joke. It's, it's laughable, but it's also sad for guys who are involved. You know, the – Red's uh, owner's son was out there, you know, at the beginning of the season, like, where else are you going to go? You know, we're, do- we're doing the best we can. Is the best you can sending your elite prospect who throws 102 miles an hour in Hunter Green and just sending him out there to get destroyed? Is that, is that, is that how you build a fr- – like, if you're going to build it through prospects right. and from within, is it good to have him out there for two and two-thirds, five home runs, nine hits, eight runs as you drop to three and 22 is that a good thing? Sounds pretty soft to me, Steve. This yeah. is how you build men. Okay? This is how you build character. That's going to be a big theme of the show today. Is t- who's <laughs> soft and who isn't?
2: You take your licks. All right? You go out there, you take your licks, and you become a better man for it. Now, I will say, so this is the other thing, too, with the Reds, the betting trend on this. Oh, uh, they have failed to cover the run line in 19 out of 21 games.
0: I mean, so, I, can't, I can't remember this ever happening. This is, where it's just it's easy money. I hate run line. So it's almost like rewarding squares, but good good for all the squares who've been on it. I was on it for the longest time. I backed off the last couple of games, um, and now they actually play another one of the losers of baseball, the Pirates. I Think eight other, or actually it's like twelve out of the next nineteen are against the Pirates or something ridiculous. Okay, like that. well that'll be fascinating. Right, they better win some games there. Yep. Or this team is gonna. I, I forget. Wasn't there a team in like eighteen ninety four that went like twenty and one twenty two? There was. We were looking this up earlier today. The the record for least wins in a Major League Baseball season, I believe, is thirty four. I think going into today, well, I think what was their total for the season like 73. It opened 73. Going into today's game, they had to go 70 and 69 the rest of the way just to meet their total. They're 3 and 22. What's the chance they're going to go 70 and 69 from here? I can see it. You can see it. You're all over them. <laughs> no, and that's what they opened. do. I'm going against the green,
3: baby.
2: And think about this, too. Uh, you know, I know there are multiple bettors out there, like like the sharp baseball bettors, who not only bet under 72, but under 71, 70, just Yeah, just kept going and have about, like, you know, like, eight, nine win totals, all unders on the Cincinnati Reds. That's awesome. And, and there are some better, like, there are some hardcore baseball guys out there that think they're not going to push for, like, 40 wins this year.
0: So, man, going be. It, they're going to be the best bad team to follow in a really long time. I love baseball. I like betting baseball. I love fantasy baseball. But it does infuriate me. You know, we've been through this time and time again. Reds ownership sucks. The A's ownership, I don't know what they're doing, led by their president who's out there trolling people every day on social media. And then, like I said, I like betting baseball. You know, yesterday I bet the Diamondbacks. Now, why is that significant? Because I bet on the starting pitchers, mad bum, what was going on there? Like some hand-caressing and goading a guy who's got a temper to getting himself thrown out of the game? Uh, yeah, I think that – so I know Adam is pretty strong on this stuff, so I'm going to take, do my best Adam Hill impression.
2: Uh, first base umpire Dambolino should be fired. He should be absolutely fired for what happened uh, yesterday. It's pretty clear what he was doing. He, he was. It was 100% clear. For the, you know, for those who haven't really seen it, and this is on Twitter, uh, not just the Mad Bum thing, but he's checking Mad Bum's hand for a substance. Usually you see all of the footage of every other check. It's a high five, essentially. It's a high five. Rub your hand real quick. You're off to the, off to the dugout. You're good. Not only does it take longer, he not once
0: looks at Bum Gardner's hand. He's looking at so, so the. So I eye. was just staring you down. Right. To give you eye contact, which I never do, right? Right. So again, tell people what he's doing. They're, Mad Bum's hand is out. Mad Bum's looking at his hand like, okay, like, is he going to find anything? No. Right. He's checking for substance, and the ump's doing what? He's just staring him down. He's staring him down trying to get a reaction out of
2: him. And it's great because Mad Bum, like you said, is not even paying attention at first, right? He says something to another umpire, but he's walking away, has his hand out. He's looking down like, okay, realizes it's taking longer than usual, looks up, see the guy staring at him, says something to him, looks back down. Like, that's how long. It's multiple looks down at his hand from Bumgarner until he realizes, like, this, okay, what is this guy doing? It, it was ridiculous. This was an umpire clearly looking to get a reaction out of him so he could throw him out of the game. This is this is something that is a fireball offense. You are now a team, just like all these other leagues, or I should say league, you are now a league that is tied to sports gambling. Yep. You want to be on the up and up, and you have your umpires out here. Not only are they terrible, by the way, which by, like we can ignore. Like yesterday, for example, Marcelo Zuna. I love Tyler McGill. McGill getting a strikeout on three straight balls is ridiculous, right? So we could talk about the fact that umpires are not even good at their jobs, but now these guys are so evil to where they're trying to draw reactions so they can throw guys out of these games. It's it's ridiculous. He should be fired. He should not be an umpire
0: again. Uh, big, tonight, uh, big night tonight around the NHL. We got four games. Um, several of them are 1-8 series, which, uh, well, the Caps, I guess, have a chance to pull the upset on the Panthers. It doesn't look like the Preds after game one have a chance to upset the Avalanche. That was a 7-2 to final. Um, I'm looking around. I'm like, all right, where's the NBA tonight, John? You're Mr. NBA. Why? Everyone's taking a night off? Yeah, I don't really get it. It's kind of weird. And we're getting
2: to the portion of the schedule. The portion. The portion of the schedule in which, like, these games are going to be spaced out. You could put a standalone game on a day like today. You could absolutely put a standalone game on a day like today. I don't understand it at all. And it's it's not even, like, the weirdest. It's the fact that these teams, like, if you're talking about Memphis, Memphis Golden State, Boston, Milwaukee, it's three days between games. It's wild that they're getting this much travel, off, man. I guess. They go
0: by train, right?
2: No, it's horse and buggy, actually. Yeah, need, it's like Oregon time. Trail.
0: <laughs> yeah. Got to have some time. Memphis Golden State, man. That's a, that's a long trip. Uh, they're giving baseball and NHL their night. Is that what they're doing? They're being generous? I guess so, yeah. Oh. They actually, based on what's happening in the GSW Memphis series and the kind of discipline that's being handed down, I think Adam Silver needs a night out of the spotlight. <laughs> so this is what comes down today. So that series has been very physical. Uh, Draymond Green got destroyed by an elbow. Yep. We'll get into what he was saying and how others have reacted to it. Uh, but he walked out of the arena giving a double bird, right? Good for him. $25,000. I thought it was fifty. $25,000, the fine. That's interesting. What do you think of that when Kyrie got 50? Oh, see, and that's,
2: that is the interesting part because it did seem like, I mean, I guess because Kyrie, there were multiple fingers. Like I guess Draymond technically had multiple fingers, but there are multiple multiple incidents with Kyrie, right? The bird up the court when he was running there, and then the other where he did the great like fake crying and everything on the sideline before he flipped off. And we have to remember, there was a child behind Kyrie Irving. I think you get extra because you got to think about
0: the kids, right? God Almighty, the do you hate Richard Jefferson? Is that what it is? No, no. I actually, I'm a really Richard big fan Jefferson was him. the one who said, "What about the kids?" Right. I actually, I sided with him. To a certain extent, you can't be doing that in a public it's arena. Not. And I know there's idiots screaming and yelling and cussing and drunk, belligerent, well, that, getting that, in but that's, that's for the team's unsecurity security to take care of. The player doesn't need to, you know, take his own action by flipping a bird or you know, dropping an f-bomb at fans. You know, it's a, it's a it's what's going on around the league right now um, is bad. It's gone on in the past, um, and I'll tell you, I actually, as much as you know, Don David Sternio as we call him, because he's the, the godfather. remember when he threatened Stan right. Van Gundy, like, we're not going to be seeing him anymore. Like, oh, God, he's going <laughs> to bury him, in this. He's, he's gonna he's, kill him. Stan Van Gundy should have been in a barrel in Lake Mead, right? Um, as annoying as Stern was at times, he was heavy-handed. Silver's kind of a pansy, man, in some of these cases. Oh, he's very pro player. But also, like, I've said this before, and I've talked to you guys about this.
2: Of all the sports, basketball is the most intimate when it comes to the distance between you and the fan. There's In baseball, it, you can be intimate, but there's at least the netting now that support, and there's the foul. Like You're not as close up front of the action. In basketball, if you're diving for a loose ball, you're diving into no. a fan. If people spill their drinks, if they're close enough, there's a delay in the game. Man, I, I, and I was watching,
0: it um, was it Boston? I'm trying to think in that series. Boston started out with home court, right? Yes. So I think it was game one I was watching over the weekend, whatever game it was. I was like, man, they have shoehorned. People into every freaking space around that court. They're right on top of the court, and it's the challenge of basketball. Has always had that the fans are right there and there's nothing you can do. What are we going to put up a net? Put right. up a fence? Or you put like they're
2: eliminate courtside seats? Something they're like never going to do that. The night, right? Because it's, it's a big money so. maker. So, but I think that's part of it. But you're right. I mean, and players. This is a much bigger conversation to have than more in the next 30 seconds. But, but this is also the age of player empowerment. Players feel more emboldened than ever, and it's a good thing to a certain extent because they they realize how much their value is. But they also realize that they probably don't need to take this, and they're acting back or you know. Responding maybe in ways that people don't see fit.
0: Coming up, let's uh, turn the page to some NFL. Want to get a bunch of these Raiders draft picks on. Guys trying to make the league. Seventh round pick. Uh, pick not pick, Seventh round pick. Might be another seventh rounder who's a prick. But uh, a <laughs> seventh round pick, uh, Britton Brown. Really good story. Uh, Duke to UCLA, uh, a Georgia area guy. And now he's got a chance to make the NFL. We're going to catch up with uh, Britton in just a couple minutes right here on Cofield and Company. <laughs> Good cut. First down inside the 20.
2: Inside the 10. And he dives in for the touchdown.
0: Nobody's bringing
2: down Britton Brown.
0: Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Here, highlight there with uh, Britton Brown, former UCLA and Duke running back. Now, a Las Vegas Raider. That's got to be pretty freaking cool. I'm sure he's going to be in Vegas pretty soon. I know right now he's back on the East Coast. That's where he's from. We get a chance on Cofield and Company with Stephen John to talk to Britain on this Thursday. How are you, sir?
3: Hey, how are you guys doing? Appreciate you having me on the show.
0: No, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, first of all, tell us about the oh. experience on uh, you know draft weekend as you're waiting to find out if you're going to be drafted, if you're going to be uh, you know an undrafted free agent. What was the experience like?
3: Yeah, it was uh it's something to remember because I had all my family up here in Georgia. Um, everybody was just kinda waiting to hear my name called and you know, I saw the rounds going by, so it wasn't a sure thing. And uh when it happened, it was a it was a really surreal moment and I got to spend it, you know, with all my loved ones and everything. So ended up being a really good um congratulations and, and a good celebration, obviously, because I got drafted. So um, who, it was a uh, good time.
0: Who wound up calling you from the Raiders?
3: Uh, the, the GM actually ended up calling me. And then uh, I got to talk to Josh McDaniels like two seconds after that. And uh, they let me know that they're going to let me spend uh, the time, the moment with my family and uh, watch my name go across the TV.
0: That's awesome. That's really awesome. Did you think there were some other teams that were hot and heavy for you aside from the Raiders?
3: Uh, yeah, we had we had several teams reaching out. Um, they were saying they were pushing for a pick to pick me but, um, you know, nothing was a sure thing, and me and my agent were just kind of discussing things as it went along. You can never really be too sure uh, with what teams are really thinking.
2: So you, you played, obviously, for UCLA. What's the, the background in terms of Las Vegas? How often have you been out here, familiar with the city? What are you expecting?
3: Right. Um, well, I've been out there twice before, once just uh, with some friends when I was at UCLA, and then after the local pro day, too, where I was really just uh, in Henderson at the practice facility. But, you know, I'm expecting to be a nice city. I got a couple friends out there already. They told me it's a nice place to live and obviously a lot to do. So I'm excited to be out there.
0: I was going to say, uh, Durian Thompson Robinson certainly yeah. should be able to tell you about it, right?
3: Right, yeah. He's from the area. Um, yeah, I actually have been talking to him about it. And uh, he says nothing but good things.
2: I assume when you guys come out here, Springs Preserve, uh, you know, the
3: museum, all the, all Atomic, about, all, all all the, the good local sites to go hiking, knows. it's all about the strip, baby. Yeah, it was, it was a good time, man. I, I learned a lot about Vegas at that moment.
0: So let's talk about let's your college you. career. Uh, you cut out there for a second. Britton Brown's with us. Uh, newest Raider, seventh round pick, uh, pick number 250, and now part of a really crowded running back room. Let's talk about your uh, college career. First, um, the switch from Ooh. Duke to UCLA. Uh, tell people what, you know, you're not a West Coast guy. Like, What were your big impressions that you got out of, Playing football at UCLA and experiencing life in, in Los Angeles.
3: Yeah, it was it was definitely a good experience. I'm glad I made the move uh, after graduating from Duke. Um, Tim Kelly came calling, and uh, I felt like UCLA was a, a great place to be, not just because of the, the location, but the football as well. And you know, UCLA running the ball about seventy percent of the time. Um, being out on the West Coast, it, it was dope. I I could say that I spent a lot of my time at the beach and just. You did? Enjoying the weather. All right. <laughs> it was uh, ne- never a bad day. I'll say that.
0: Where? Uh, what beaches did you go to? Where would you like to go to?
3: Um, Santa Monica was the closest one. I'd nice. always go there. Um, we like to work out on the beach as well. And then um, I visited Malibu a couple of times. Yeah. And that's probably like the nicest beach I was going to. Yeah, that's um, a... But I, I really explored the the whole coast. I went down to Newport, um, Laguna. So I, was, I was doing a lot.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a rough life, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of people in the Midwest uh, who are like, "Oh, LA." I'm like, I don't know, man. I think you need <laughs> to go. If you, I mean, you got to have money, uh, you know, to live there long term. Yeah. But it's it's a freaking it's a beautiful place.
3: It is. You're right, though. It is expensive. It, it helped to be on scholarship and everything. I just yeah. paid too much out of my pocket.
0: Well, you know, here's the crazy thing. You uh, and the campus at UCLA is it's it's insane. I you know, I've driven through the hills there and stuff. It's it's nuts. You you have the unique experience. Yeah of attending school at two of the most scenic campuses in the country. I know people also will get on Duke, but mm-hmm. um, I worked in North Carolina for a very short time. The the Duke campus is, I mean, describe it to people in Vegas. It's just like that experience too is insane.
3: Yeah. I was going to say Duke rivals uh, UCLA just as well. Uh, when you, when you first go in there, Duke is, is two campuses now It used to be three. But when you open up to the main campus, it's the chapel that you see in all the pictures basically. And, it's a lot of green area. The cobblestone is really nice. Um, they're just known for the scenic gardens and everything out there. So, new campus is really good as well.
2: All right, enough of this stuff. Let's talk. To, let's talk brass tacks here. Let's get to the important stuff. Uh, I got. To, <laughs> I got to read your uh, your the Q&A. important stuff. Guys, read your Q and A up on the Raiders <laughs> website, and uh, you, right. you spoke some truths that I think need to be aired out. I don't to know, the ESPN if, I don't in know Las if he Vegas. did. I don't know if he did. Uh, what was that? Your thoughts on In and Out Burger? I could not agree more. Please share with our audience.
3: Yeah, I was, or it was a question of In-N-Out or Waffle House, and you know I, I had to go with my Waffle House over here, just being from the East Coast. But Waffle House has more options, man. That's all I was saying. Yeah. In-N-Out was they, they hype it up too much. That's that's what I would say.
2: Substandard was the uh, the <laughs> quote that was used, and I I could not agree more. I'm just gonna throw it out there. I couldn't agree more. And now I will say this as somebody who has not been well traveled. Uh, I have never been to a Waffle House. The experience is what like if I go to one, the first order is what?
3: Uh, you, yeah, you got to get the All Star breakfast. You have to. What's and in it, that? It comes with everything. Is is you know you got to it comes with the waffles, which is the main reason you're there, and then you get all the side stuff. they are pretty cheap too.
0: Oh, it's all cheap. I think a good deal. <laughs> yeah. it's good. Yeah, it's it's, it's all the, it really it's the ultimate greasy spoon, and I don't know we, we're, weren't we yelling a couple weeks ago about the the waffle? Like someone was saying the waffles at Waffle House, are they're heavy, they're hard to eat. I'm like, what are you talking about? If you're, nah. if you're a real man, you can put down, like, freaking six of those.
3: Yeah, yeah. they they going to make you full, but you can put them down easily. Oh, yeah. That's too good. Too dynamite. good
0: dynamite stuff. Uh, Britton <laughs> Brown's with us. All right. Uh, last couple things on, on your college career before we get to the NFL. This is going to sound really weird. Yeah. You're ready to make money in the NFL. In a way, I wonder if the latest round of college athletes, if you had any eligibility left, would you have wanted to stay around where you're like, yeah, this nil stuff is is kind of interesting, isn't it?
3: <laughs> it is. Uh, I heard a lot of it going on, and you know, guys are starting to get actual contracts going and big money. It kind of feels like free agency in college, but I, I don't think I'd want to stick around any more than I than I have already. It's just yeah. you know, being six years in college now, it, it's time to move on. Even if I did have eligibility left, I'd be like, I got to move on.
0: Well, you you have a bright career in front of you, a professional football career in front of you i'm 52 and i swear to god i would have stayed in college this whole time um it was, <laughs> i had a good time I would, I would have put off all the responsibilities for uh, another 30 years Britton brown's with us running back with the raiders is there a chance well, tell me what you think is you just mentioned college free agency right. um is there a chance these next couple of years that nil could actually hurt college football until they really get some guardrails like can there be negatives to this
3: uh i don't think so most guys are, are going to, you know, they're going to be there for those four years. But I think everybody, or I think at least 90% of the players really want to play in the NFL. At least that's why a lot of us do it. You know, it's our, been our dream. Um, some of that money might take some of the hunger away from, from some guys if they can't keep the main thing the main thing. But ultimately, I think NFL will always be a product that will have plenty of talent in it.
0: Well, I also wonder if the highest earners, and, the, and if the number is public, if that can actually break down a team and make it tougher for coaches in terms of playing time and like you know bro you're not automatically playing just because you got a big contract mm-hmm. There'd be jealousy among teammates I mean you saw I don't know if you saw it there was a Dude. Miami football uh check that Miami basketball situation where one of the kids came out and he's like hey they just brought in another guy I was the best player on the team I want a new NIL deal I just I wonder how you know t- you know oh, wow. you're, you're a little bit older yeah it was a crazy situation the kid retracted he's gonna stay in Miami I wonder if that situation is gonna arise
3: yeah, there's always gonna, especially when something new comes into play, and there's not a whole bunch of rules and regulations, and people are kind of just flowing through it, going with the flow. Um, you never really know how how guys are gonna to react to certain things and what kind of power or leverage they have. But hopefully, that doesn't affect the, the fact that football is a meritocracy, and like the harder you work, you know, the more the more so you're gonna be on the field, stuff like that.
0: On on the transfer portal. If, you know, you, now you're, you've are you been in school, you were in school for a long time, you, so you got the experience in mm-hmm. two different places. If some if a kid comes to you is in two years at a school and he says, you know what, it's not working here, what do you tell him? Right. Like, like, I mean, I, obviously every situation is a little bit different, but it does seem – I mean, what, what's happening now is you've got upwards of a total of 2,000 kids in the transfer portal, and sadly, like 600 are not going to get a scholarship somewhere else.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it goes both ways too. Is does the kid, if it's kid leaving his self, or there's also coaches that might want to make room on their roster because they want more experienced guys that have already proven themselves. So, yep. you know they want to have more spots open. But um, I think, in, in all in all, it's just you know it's going to be a lot of movement from team to team, and and teams are really just switching players around, and uh, some guys actually don't come out of the transfer the transfer portal because you know it's so full and there's so much turnover. So it's, it's going to be crazy to kind of see how it, it turns out these next couple years.
0: So when you were working out for, you know, teams are getting looked at by teams, interviewing with teams, you know, your pro day, what sort of advice right. did you get from, you know, NFL personnel, people and coaches in terms of your skill set and maybe what you're good at and what you need to improve on?
3: Yeah. Um, basically just saying, keep on improving on, on what I've been doing. Um, being a three down back and, they told me that I was catching pretty good outside, out the uh, the backfield, and and running between the tackles, and you know being being able to break tackles, but also staying there and pass pro. So, um, just work on my strength and and uh, you know put your head down and work. And they just say you never know what could happen. So I was glad to get the call on on draft day. because I went to the NFLPA bowls, so I was able to talk to a lot of a lot of scouts during that time. And, I wasn't really sure what team was feeling me more,
2: though. From a mentality standpoint, I mean, I'm just thinking about this personally. I would find it hard to, to escape the just glad to be here type of thing, you know what I mean, like getting drafted and being right. there. Like, how do you approach it from that standpoint? Because I, I feel like I'd just be one of those guys like, man, I got here. I, I At least I got a chance.
3: Yeah, I think, I think I'm approaching it as uh, just to be a grinder and, and trying to do everything I can to make the roster, too. Um, and just kind of look at it as, you know, it's, you could get cut any day, type of thing. So you better come in every day, new day, give a hundred percent, or else you, you probably won't have like the results that you get.
0: What do you know about the Raiders roster? Who are you familiar with?
3: Um, well, Max Crosby just just uh, followed me on IG and stuff. So okay, there you go. Cool that it, yeah, it's cool that a veteran guy was reaching out and just uh, you know just giving me some motivation to come in there ready to work. Yeah, I mean the offense is loaded. I mean you're
0: you're gonna you're gonna walk in there. The running back room obviously is crowded with productive veterans. You know, you you got a star wide receiver, you got a star tight end, you got Hunter Renfro, you got the quarterback who just got his new deal. I mean the Raiders have it going on right now.
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, they do. Um, In the backfield, it's gonna be really fun. It's gonna be fun competing with those guys and and like you said, stacked stacked offense at wide receiver, quarterback. I think we're gonna have a, a good offense through and through. Good team through and through.
0: So what's the timetable coming up? When do you have to actually, you know, get to work and uh, be here in Vegas with the Raiders?
3: Right. Uh, Minicamp starts the 12th. So we're going to we're gonna report that day and be over there uh, Thursday.
0: There you go. Enjoy the time, right? Enjoy reveling in uh, yep. getting drafted, and uh, you'll be out here soon. So we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for giving us a couple of minutes, and, you know, good luck in your pro career here.
3: Uh, no problem. Thanks. Thank you guys again for having me on.
0: Thank you. There he is, Britton Brown. Nice dude. Duke, UCLA, big guy. Just yeah. like Zamir White and, you know, they, you know I don't know if you saw it yesterday, they signed uh, Sincere McCormick, who's a 5'9", 205 running back mm-hmm. from UTSA. So the message is clear. And I don't think we have to tell the audience 500 times on this. This is Patriots West. Belichick always had five running backs. And come any given Sunday, you don't know who's going to play. Right. And if, if the track record
2: holds, at least in terms of development of those running backs and using them, Uh, Guys like Britton Brown have a really good opportunity to get some playing time because if you're going to play hard and do the right things, you're going to have a spot in a roster like this. How much attention that he's going to draw from everybody on the floor, whether he's on the perimeter, um, at the elbow, on the block. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. What he does defensively for those guys is pretty incredible, too. Um, I'm not a statistics guy or analytics, but I can tell you right now whenever he's on the floor, they're a much better
3: team. Hey, baby, get my soul.
0: John, what are we doing tonight with your family? From cinco de mayo. Another you gonna, day,
3: you, baby. You're
0: you gonna fold in, uh, Mr. White, over here. Yeah. Let's do it. No, it's. it's what
2: another, are you cooking? Another day.
0: We need another day. We gotta celebrate. Why do we celebrate today, Steve? Stop. What's, uh, you know, what's, what's I, today? I don't want to get into no, you. No holidays. I no. Mean, what's, what's today? No, tell me. Tell me. We're gonna celebrate. We'll, we will get into this yeah. in cinco de mayo. We'll get into this with Xavier Pope in about ten minutes. Freaking rain on my parade, man. You told me I was going to get into it, I'm not, not going to get into it. Get discipline. <laughs> that was Jimmy Butler on the way back. Sixers have a shot. By uh, the way, do we even know what's going on with Embiid? Out, oh, so listed as out for game
2: three, but, 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 but you have to realize that just because he's listed as out, that can still be upgraded before the game starts. So that's not like an official out. So they could upgrade it tomorrow, and he could be ready to play. So not officially out, even though he's listed as out, if that makes sense. <laughs> but I would say... Look, as somebody who bet the 76ers each of the last two games, oh boy, um,
0: they're done if Embiid's not out there. Like, I just—it's deflating. They, and and for the bounce back game, they gotta have him,
2: right? Well, here's the thing: like you look at a game like Game Two, right, where you're watching them play, and you, you, Game One they let it halftime. Game Two they're competitive the entire way. They cut it to eight multiple times in the fourth quarter, but there was some point in the fourth where they just kind of let go of the rope, and they were just like, ah, let's just let's just get out of here. And it was right when Niang fouled out, and it's not like Niang's like some catalyst for this team, but you could just kind of see it on their face, like how oh, we're not getting back into this. Let's get out of here. Like I thought, the 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 framework is there for them to be much more competitive. They can go small, shoot a bunch of threes. They have to shoot better than they have each of the last two games. You saw Tyrese Maxey's able to have success, but I think it's very clear that if they're going to win as opposed to be competitive, cover spreads, they need Joel Embiid.
0: Yeah, I heard earlier on uh, some other shows. Got to go small, man. Got to play small ball. Like it's not that easy if your team's not built to play small ball.
2: Well, I think they are. Okay, I think they're they're better built to play small than they are to play big because to play big means to play DeAndre Jordan, who's
0: I'm saying, arguably so, but, yeah. one of the worst defenders yeah. in the NBA. So it's the only option they have.
2: Right. Like they're they're it's they're, the option they have without Embiid. Their best option is to play George Niang at center and Tobias Harris at power forward, or vice versa. Tobias Harris at center and Niang at power forward. And spread the floor and shoot. Because keep in mind, too, like Miami, the way they play defensively, they're going to let you shoot threes. They were last in opponent three-point frequency. They were last in open attempts allowed from beyond the arc. That's what they want. They want you to shoot threes. They don't want you to get the easy baskets within four feet, potentially draw shooting fouls. So that is kind of the, the thing to do. they got to play small, right? And you're kind of suited for it, more better suited for it than playing the guy that is formerly DeAndre Jordan at center.
0: One of John's favorite topics, because uh, he used to be young, now he's kind of middle-aged. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of his favorite topics is the old heads talking basketball versus the analytics and the new guys and small ball and three-point shooting. Bob Ryan, God, God. who, boy, did he milk that ESPN thing on uh, a reporter show forever.
2: That and my, around my Lord. the horn. I don't, is he still on I, around the horn?
0: You know, I, I don't know. I thought he was retiring. Yeah. I thought Berman was retiring. They're still around. And now, uh, what you often get is. Eh! You know that's just the noise you make when you're shaking your fist at the sun. You wake up in the morning, and you're like, "Damn it, it's out again." Yeah, it comes out every day. Bob, um, he tweeted out, and of course, this is it's bait, so I'll take it. But I'm really, you know, trying to bait you. Bob Ryan, longtime basketball scribe, basketball expert, talk show host, uh, said, "I completely understand younger basketball fans embracing the three. It's all they know. What they don't know is how much better the game was without it." I, I can't. Which which is great because – and he hates the show. If you watch Winning Time, it gives you a little historical info there that before the Lakers became, you know, Showtime Lakers and running and gunning, right, and, you know, he's on its ear, Jack McKinney, the coach, is like – basically, I'll paraphrase, this crap of throwing it down to Kareem and having him dribble it seven times and everyone just stands around and waits for a skyhook – That's not real efficient basketball. And Kareem was an awesome weapon, but they got up and down the floor. Kareem certainly benefited from it because he could run. So I don't know that big basketball was better. And Bob Ryan's about 78 years old. I'm not young, so I watched this stuff in the 80s. It was fun when they didn't just throw it down low and the game just stalled. And I think we've all kind of learned that FIBA basketball is good basketball. It's about ball movement and getting high-percentage shots and just throwing it down to the post and playing 90s basketball and beating the S out of each other is not great basketball, Bob.
2: Uh, and, by, and mixing in the way that FIBA calls their games, too. I mean, the Olympics basketball this last summer was freaking awesome to watch. It was a really good brand of basketball. Um no, look, I'm not going to take the bait and get angry at Bob Ryan. He's like a stereotype, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he was actually lamenting, did you see in the follow-up tweets, just about the three-point line itself, like that it shouldn't exist. <laughs> at some point, you're doing this on purpose. I mean, isn't
0: there the simple principle, it, whether you like the shooting from three or not, it's based out the game. Yes, of course it does. There's a better flow to the game. If you want to play sloppy post-basketball or just ISO basketball, that's crap. This space is, it makes defenses work more.
2: And also, and this is, we we say this all the time yes, efficiency for offenses is up, but defenses are much more nuanced and detailed than they ever have been before. These guys are bigger, stronger, faster, more accurate, more coordinated. They can do all of these things better. Just because the offensive numbers are up doesn't mean the defense is down and nobody plays defense anymore. These guys are just peak athletes who are playing basketball at its, essentially, at its peak right now. And it's all about numbers and efficiency, and that's what the game is today.
0: It's Cofield and Company. It's
1: like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under.
0: All right, let's get to it. It's like One of our favorite spots of the week, Xavier Pope. Out of Chicago. Host of Suit Up News is with Von Tobel and Cofield. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. We got a lot of stuff to get into. Uh, a lot of grumpy old man stuff, including... Uh, What was your take on J.J. Reddick getting all mad at uh, Mad Dog Russo and his take on uh, Draymond Green? Uh,
1: Props to J.J. Reddick. That's why it was trending. Uh, I think that J.J. Reddick has been a really refreshing addition to ESPN talking heads. I think that uh, he called Chris Russo, you know, he, he said his logic about Draymond Green in terms of talking about him basically shut up and dribble in in terms of Draymond Green being one of the more outspoken outspoken players in the National Basketball Association, uh, and correctly called him out. You know, Chris Russo was talking about fans that been watching the NBA for sixty years, Bob Cousy and the like. I and mean, it was just basically uh you know, it was a dog whistle for white people, for white fans. And, and and it was unnecessary and it was clearly a grift. And I think that some of the and there are certain members of the sports media like Chris Russo, who believes they're quick their rise, um, they could go down this path of thinly veiled racism um, to appeal a certain amount of fans, and maybe get into mainstream right-wing uh, media. And so J.J. Reddick uh, properly called him out, gave him that really crazy face, uh, which people have been sharing pictures of. Props to J.J.
2: Yeah, uh, Xavier, it's funny. So since uh, over at my my other job on v Sin, I'm our senior NBA writer, and since I have taken on that role, uh, I've gotten some of the uh, commentary thrown my way as, for some reason, a defender of the association. But why is it that, uh, and I ask this with a hint of sarcasm, why is it that the NBA, all the players are assumed to be just not smart and these guys can't really handle things and they're viewed in these ways when in other sports it doesn't seem to be as extreme? I'm mostly black yeah. players.
3: Yeah.
1: And I think it's also, we, to someone like Chris Russo, black players don't get to speak out for issues that matter to marginalized communities. But we can have some other player talk about, you know, I, I, you know, like a uh, Aaron Rodgers talk about the vaccines or talk about their their version of politics, and then it's okay. Wow, he's a hero for speaking up. And uh, I think it's the shut up and dribble mentality really is uh, is pretty much shut up and dance, uh, and you do whatever we want. You don't get a chance to speak at all. And I, I think it's uh, it's a disgusting display. And uh, Chris Russo, uh, who was roundly uh, admonished for it,
0: Xavier you Pope. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor right here on Cofield and Company with us at Silver Sevens on a Thursday. So Stephen A. Smith's been pretty outspoken getting after guys like Ben Simmons. And he got pushback from both Jamie Foxx and Stephon Marbury. Marbury actually called him an Uncle Tom. What's happening here?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, Jamie Foxx also referenced Stephen A. Smith for going after only black athletes and... I don't think that criticism of Stephen A. Smith is necessarily fair, um, mainly because Stephen A. Smith—I mean, he did—he wasn't that great, he played basketball at some point in his life, and he did cover the NBA. You know, covered the NBA. So that's your main basis for really talking about sports, and then him being from New York and being proud of New York, talking about the Knicks, a lot of New York sports. Kind of, thats the, the 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 center of what Stephen A. Smith talks about, and it expands out from there, obviously being a hater of the Cowboys and so on and so forth. That's what he does. And he doesn't just criticize African-American players. I think, you know, he just gets paid $10 million bucks to, to do it, and, and that's how people see him and how he's presented himself. And then when you talk about someone like Ben Simmons, I mean, uh, it's it's questionable. Where, you, where do you stand in terms of criticizing him because he hasn't played, he hasn't been there all year? Uh, and also talking about Kyrie Irving, I mean, Kyrie Irving – he himself admitted that he was a distraction to the team in terms of his vaccination status, and it was true. Uh, and so I don't necessarily agree with everything they, they – 100% what they said. Um, Stephen A. Smith, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, um, And but I don't think he's going after specific African-American players.
0: Uh sad story coming out on the uh, legal front, and, you know, it's real life. Uh, out of New York City, a uh, homeless person was stabbed to death by – Kid Creel, and if you're paying attention, the Vast Sound crew did a nice job there of uh, playing a little uh, Grandmaster Flash and the uh, Furious Five, and he was a member of uh, that group, and it's a weird case. I mean, he, he, I guess he was freaked out by some homeless guy. Maybe it was premeditated. He says it wasn't. He stabbed him, went right back to work, and threw away the knife. I mean, did you think he got treated unfairly here? He's 62. He just got 16 years in jail.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, Steve, I mean, he was in Rikers what, for, I mean, for a, a long. I like put five years. Or something yeah, already like that?
0: five years. Yep, waiting awaiting trial five years. I
1: mean, so off the off the jump, Steve, you already automatically know he's had crappy lawyers. <laughs> You're not going to spend five years in jail against sentence to 16 years right. if you have have competent legal counsel. They're not going to let you sit in a hole that long. Uh, and so, what I believe in this in this particular case is just really he has, didn't hit, get a chance to really. Effectively prove his case uh, and maybe show some self-defense. Now, the fact that he left the scene and and went back to work and maybe that does make make it look um, guilty. Um, he did say he was afraid for his safety, but he had a knife underneath his his his, his, um, his sleeve. But guess where he's at? <laughs> a place that has crime ticking up. I don't. I I, I think that it, he. At the end of the day, if you don't have a good lawyer. Man, a case like this is uh, open and shut, and you could spend a long time in prison.
0: If the guy who charged Dave Chappelle the other night at the Hollywood Bowl, if he gets a good attorney, is he going to get money from Chappelle, security, Buster Rhymes, Jamie Foxx again? Because apparently after he ran up on stage, I mean, they just beat the snot out of him, and he looked like he was a mess getting into the ambulance. (laughs) What do you make of of this? Because they lit him up
1: man I, t- I tweeted this earlier today and they lumped this guy up his hair is flying one way his eye is going another way his arm is turned another way they let this guy have it uh and you don't rush the stage man i mean that, you know that, that's what you you know he, he messed around and found out uh basically especially at the end of the show but the difference between what we just talked about the case was a criminal case. And there is no money to be recovered from a homeless person or the state. And so you have to put up money to have competent representation to defend you, defend you from going to jail. Now, in this case, a lawyer who sees this, want to get some publicity, want to be able to get in the news, get more clients, make more money. He's going to step up and and actively seek this individual. And it may be a very competent, well-collared attorney that would be able to put on a reasonable case that said they went beyond self-defense and they, 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 there were talks about kicking and stomping, and there were way too many individuals to say, hey, with self-defense in a certain, this particular situation. I think this guy has an excellent case to get a bunch of money, even though he charged uh, Dave Chappelle. And that's just a mitigation. The charging part, you, you, there's a mitigation that reduces the amount of damage that you can get, but going past and kicking someone and turning their arm a different way potentially can get them some dough.
0: I saw Howie Mandel say that this attack, this is the kind of stuff that is now prompted By people seeing what Will Smith did. You think he's right?
1: Well, my first reaction to that was like, that's ridiculous. But who gets on stage on the microphone and says, was that Will Smith? Chris Rock. Yeah, he did. (laughs) So, I mean, it's hard to say that when you have someone who is a perpetrator, who was part of this incident is on stage making fun of the incident and referencing himself. And so, I mean... Look, I mean, there have been unruly fans that have rushed stages. They've been fighting concerts, comedy shows for years. This isn't a new phenomenon. Fans have run on field during during games. I think that everybody wants to have a take on this, and it gets them attention to do whatever they need to do. But bringing attention to it, boom, there's the guy on stage. How crazy is this that Chris Rock is the guy who comes on the stage after this incident happens?
0: Wow. Xavier Pope on Cofield and Company. Let's go in a different direction. Uh, the Trevor Bauer case. Were you blown away by the suspension that baseball handed down—two plus years?
1: That's MLB has been going pulling down really tough on uh, domestic violence and sexual assault. I mean, they—I mean, two and a half years is a long time. I mean, uh, that doesn't necessarily say his career is over. I mean, he had a hundred million dollar contract previous season that he signed with the Dodgers. So the guy obviously is worth a ton. Pitchers can can pitch for a long period of time. You get a long time of rest for his arm. Um, but the fact that there was no, there were no criminal charges brought against him um, is, is also um, pretty surprising and shocking. He doesn't have any uh, civil judgment against him. So this is just MLB saying they're putting their foot down and saying they don't want to have any violence towards women, which a lot of women who observe the sport should be and happy about MLB taking that proactive stance. And so um, it, it's, it's, he's in a tough spot, but I do think that Trevor Barr still has a future in, in Major League Baseball when he comes back.
2: If he wants to fight, it does seem like he wants to fight it to a certain extent. What's the legal ground he has to stand on here? Because isn't Major League Baseball Xavier kind of like a private entity? Like they can decide if they want to do this, can they not?
1: Yeah, I mean they, they they can. He could just say that Major League Baseball go he go through his union to some sort of arbitration to figure out what how he's going to handle that. Uh, with the league, um, and I don't necessarily think it, it may wind up being two and a half years once it's all said and done with Major League Baseball. It could potentially get it reduced based on um, and you know, go, looking at other cases of that matter. But that's going to take some time. He's still going to be sitting out for a long time. Regardless, I mean, I, he's the guy's probably going to miss at least 150 to 200 games.
0: So two hours and five minutes until I throw on a sombrero. I get a uh, michelada. I get some tacos. Let's celebrate, everybody. Cinco de Mayo, ready, okay. right,
1: Xavier? Yeah, Cinco de Mayo, man. It's Cinco de Drunko. Uh, it, it, Cinco de Mayo, it, 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 people think about Mexican Independence Day. which it's not. That's in September. Uh, the Battle of Pueblo in 1862 uh, where – in Pueblo, they battle back a highly uh, favored French army, which I think is really odd because the next, you know, they come along the next year, a couple years, and then they wind up in 1864 and wind up losing anyway. And the French are there for the next three years, and so it's this battle that that was won and ultimately was lost that people are celebrating. That really only was really regionally celebrated in Pueblo is not a big deal in Mexico as much as it's so in in America and got popularized by beer. In liquor companies, uh, really clever marketing, uh, uh, as you see with many holidays. And so, hey, so if since it was created by the beer alcohol companies, celebrate! Nice appropriation, everyone. Good job, America.
0: John, uh, John, you're 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 married into a Latino family. Are you outraged? My grandmother. Ang- Are you very angry today? And I forgot. My you, grandmother's you have, you, have it, you, you have it in your you know family direct. Yeah,
2: La Batalla de Puebla. All right, come on. It has nothing to do with Mexican independence. It's just a bunch of white people finding excuse to drink and using another culture to do so. So.
1: That's what happens. It's that's exactly game. what it is. Um, and unreal. And that's unreal. exactly what it is. And yeah, I mean, that, and I think that that's what everyone feels. And I think that there's a reclamation part by many Mexican Americans, wanting to seeking to celebrate their their heritage and focus on what they do. Um, but turns out there's more beer sold on Mexico de Mayo than on, on St. Patrick's Day or the Super Bowl. Now that goes to show you how uh, how commercialized this holiday has become.
2: And uh, we should also, as they were point out, of course, uh, the irony with the uh, the relationship of this country with Mexican and Mexican Americans over the last few years, sure, and the yeah. celebration of this holiday. Right? Today we're all good. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, right, right. Yeah, we're we're all good.
0: we got we got we got like are, fifteen seconds left. Saying,
1: yeah, I, I think that if you have a, a animus towards brown people, you shouldn't be celebrating Cinco de Mayo, just like you shouldn't be celebrating, uh, you know, other things if you uh, have these other uh, political pieces as well. It should be like a meter. Hey, I'm I'm like this. Oh, no, you can't celebrate this. Nope, nope, nope. You can't listen to Biggie, Tupac, nope.
0: (laughs) Xavier, we appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Love you guys.